You're listening to the North American Francophone Podcast, hosted in English by Claire-Marie Brisson and proudly recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia. Today's episode starts with an excerpt from Roy McGregor's book, Canadians, A Portrait of a Country and Its People. This was published by Penguin in 2007, and it became a national bestseller in Canada. I think that page 11 gives us an insight into Canada unlike any other. It says, But do I know my country? Sometimes I think so. More often I feel I know nothing. Canada, I sometimes think, is a country that, like Einstein's theory of relativity, is impossible for virtually any of us to grasp. Einstein's theory can be worked out on a blackboard. We have a thousand books, dozens of royal commissions, hundreds of learned papers, and millions of panel discussions and late-night bar conversations, yet none has ever satisfactorily worked out the equation that is Canada. All we know for sure is that for every sign that points one way, another seems to be pointing back. We are a country of endless contradiction. Canadians have two languages, but rarely speak them both. They have two official national sports, but hardly ever play one, lacrosse. They fret over other provinces' separation threats and race to threaten separation themselves. They use Ottawa as both capital city and swear word. They have politicians who are elected to the federal government to work for the elimination of the federal government. They have academics calling for the end of provinces, premiers working for ever-increasing provincial powers, and mayors hoping for the creation of city-states at the expense of provincial powers. They argue still over whether Louis Riel should have been hanged as a traitor back in 1885 or deserves a statue on Parliament Hill as a father of confederation. This 331-page book was assigned reading to me in my undergraduate studies in my first-ever Canadian politics class. With familial connections to Canada, it was all the more confusing to hear so many contradictions and such complexity making up the fabric of what was innately Canadian. In the years that I've spent studying Canada, I've begun to learn where my blind spots have been. I will admit very freely that primarily my knowledge of Canada was from Ontario eastward for most of my life, up until I started my doctoral program. Finding resources about Francophones in Canada was no easy task for me, and so today I feel honored to conduct an interview with somebody who has studied both at the University of Alberta and at York University in Toronto. My questions were out of curiosity, particularly because I have such deep ties to Quebec. What did it mean to be a Francophone outside of Quebec, and more importantly, what does it mean to be a Francophone in 2020 if you live outside of Quebec? On today's episode, I'm interviewing Rebecca Lazarenko. She recently published an article that's entitled Ce qu'il faut savoir au sujet des communautés francophones du Canada, which in English is more or less what you need to know about Canada's francophone communities. Now, that came across my radar as I was perusing Twitter like I normally do. Rebecca, 
What really inspired you to start your graduate studies and, and really what motivated you to start thinking about topics that you are right now? My desire to do a master's started when I was in my second slash third year of my undergrad. So just a long chain of wanting to do it. Um, but I was at the University of Alberta, the Campus Saint-Jean, which is the French campus. And I was doing a bachelor's of education. So I've always known I wanted to be a teacher. I just would now would like to teach at a higher level. And my focus was social studies and physical education. But obviously my love of history showed itself with my major being social studies. I took a lot of history classes, but my favorite ones were the Canadian history classes. And within the classes that I took, I underwent a semester long research project that was on the conscription crisis of 1917 to 1918 during the First World War. At the time, I was super ambitious, and I thought within an undergrad paper, I could answer all the questions I had ever had. Uh, that proved to be false, and that's actually why I wanted to continue and do a master's. So I started looking at what actually happened, what was real French-Canadian perspective on the conscription crisis, what did the other French-Canadians think, like other Francophone communities, you know, did Quebec actually represent all French Canadians or was that one distinct voice among many? And as I went along, my research became refined and I ended up doing a comparison of the Francophone community of Alberta to uh, the French Canadians of Quebec on the major events of the war. Thank you so much for sharing your academic trajectory with us, Rebecca. I think that so many listeners need to hear that background knowledge to truly appreciate how much somebody who is a researcher has done in their field and how one topic or one idea can just spiral and become so important. And I'd just like to make a little sidebar for my listeners who may not be familiar with the conscription crisis of 1917. Canada was in desperate need of soldiers after the Battle of the Somme, and they were trying to find volunteers to replace the soldiers that had been killed or wounded in action. The recruiting effort was difficult across Canada, and so they turned to their only remaining option, and that was conscription. You may be familiar with the word the draft. That's basically what conscription is. Well, almost all of the French Canadians just did not want to join. They didn't feel any connection to Britain or France. They didn't feel a part of the war. And so the conscription crisis, it caused a very big rift along those who spoke French, those who spoke English. There were different opinions on the war. It's a fascinating field of study, and I'm sure that you, Rebecca, have a lot to say about it. And speaking of francophones, I'd like to turn our attention to the term French-Canadian for a little bit. In the United States, as an example, when we talk about French Canada or French Canadians, we usually are referring to Quebec. And in the university community, when we talk about French speakers in Canada, the focus is really about Quebec. For example, when I teach introductory French courses at the University of Virginia, our textbook has a highlight on Francophone culture, and it just says Quebec in the header. It doesn't even say Canada. So I'd like to get your input why do you think that Quebec is synonymous with Francophone? And do you think that there are other parts of Canada that are now emerging in Canadian scholarship as also being Francophone? How do you think that is portrayed in Canada? So I would say the main reason why French Canadian probably is a synonym for Quebecois or Quebec in the minds of many is because of the literature and also because of history. If we look at the history of Canada when it first began, from the French identity, then translating to French Canadian. At the time, it was Ontario and Quebec. 
Uh, but from there, late in the late 60s, early 70s, that the multiple Francophone identities of Canada were recognized. It wasn't that they didn't exist before that time. They were actually finally given the recognition. And now literature is starting to pop up more about Franco-Albertains, Franco-Ontariens, Acadiens, you know, all the different subsets of the Francophone identities in Canada. You make a very interesting point about French-Canadian history and how it was written and documented. There's a strong tradition of literature in Quebec, and I know for a fact that history was being written about the French-Canadians, at least in Quebec, during the late 1800s into the 1900s. And I'm wondering, do you know if there was French-speaking Canadian history being written at the same time in other areas? I would say yes and no. Typically, because French Canada or French Canadian in the minds of many meant Quebec, when they use the term French Canadian, if you actually look at the content, you quickly realize that they're talking about Quebec. And very rarely are uh, the other French Canadian identities discussed. Sometimes they talk about a Acadien or Franco-Ontarien, but the West is really ignored most of the time. And even then, when they do get a mention, it's a couple lines, maybe a paragraph, and sometimes we're left in the footnotes. Absolutely. And despite the fact that nearly 90% of Canadians live within 100 miles of the U.S. border, we often tend to forget that it's not just Quebec that has francophones. In my own experience, just as an example, even though I have family connections to Quebec, I grew up within a 15-minute drive to Windsor, Ontario, and I often forgot that there is a very rich Franco-Ontarian community. And what really reminded me of that is if I started browsing through the radio, I would always come across Radio-Canada in French. And then I said to myself, oh yeah, that's right, there is a Franco-Ontarian community. But if I hadn't done that, or if I hadn't spoken French... I don't think that would have been as accessible to me, and maybe I wouldn't have noticed it at all. So I'm wondering from a Canadian perspective, what can we do as Americans to refocus our attention on Canada and understand it for its plurality of Francophone communities? Uh, well, the first thing I would say is if you're wanting to look at literature, so read books, which I think is one of the best ways Absolutely. <laughs> to look at a general idea. When you're doing those searches, maybe use other keywords other than French Canadian, you'll probably get more results. Or if you add in uh, French Canadians, West or Ontario, just the different provinces, you'll get a whole bunch of different results that you wouldn't have gotten if you just used French Canadian. It's interesting to hear you say that you should omit the term French Canadian when you're trying to search for Franco-Albertan or Franco-Ontarian resources. Does a good explanation exist for why that might be the case? Honestly, I would just say it's a precedent that was created through history and also the way we write. For the longest time, there wasn't that recognition that there actually were multiple Francophone identities. If we look at the West, which I will use an example because that is what I know the best, Alberta and Saskatchewan, a lot of the communities, the, the towns, the cities were founded by the French, and this was in the early 1800s. However, not everyone is aware of this, but it's becoming more prominent in literature, the fact that these Francophone communities existed. Right, and I think this is something that you highlight very well in your December 2019 article, Ce qu'il faut savoir au sujet des communautés francophones du Canada. And 
as many of my listeners are francophones themselves or anglophones who may be learning French, I wanted to bring up something that you mention in your article. You say that there is a distinction that is commonly made between francophone Canadians and those who have learned the language. Now, this second group often finds itself excluded from the francophonie, and I'd like if you could talk a little bit to this point. I'd be appreciative. Why do you think that people who learn French are excluded in that way from the francophonie? The first thing I am、um, is probably most important is to know that that perspective is very elitist. I would say it's not shared by everyone, which is fantastic. But unfortunately, the people who have the largest platforms often tend to draw that line between someone who is a native French speaker, someone who was born into a very French family with roots,、um, and then there's. Those who have learned it as a second language, who slowly become accustomed to the culture, who participate in community events, and there appears to be this distinction between the two, as you mentioned, but it's not shared by everyone. And my article was a reaction to Denis Bombardier, and she shares those elitist opinions, and she has quite a large platform in Quebec, but also all over Canada. And when she writes about the francophone communities outside of Quebec. She does so with that vision in mind. She's not talking about it from a place of understanding or even the willingness to understand. It's she had those ideas already in mind. She came to see us. She found something that can prove her point, and that's what she talks about. I would say it's very much elitist. All of the francophones that I have met through my masters and now the beginning of my doctoral studies have been very welcoming, very opening. You know to. The fact that I learned it as a second language, but I'm so highly involved in the community. I participate. You know, it's not just a language that I can speak, but it's actually a part of my identity. And they're very open to it, and they even celebrate it, which I think is amazing. And I'm very glad that it, that has been my experience. Rightfully so. I think that learning a new language should be a celebration, and I'm happy that your community is so supportive of you having learned French. And interestingly,、uh, I want to point to another thing that you highlighted in your article. Outside of Quebec, it seems like French speakers are on the rise in Canada. I was amazed, for example, to see in your article that statistics point to a 27 percent increase in francophones in Alberta. I had never heard of that statistic before. Do you have insights about why these numbers are going up so quickly? I honestly believe it's because bilingualism and knowing a second language, even if it's not French, is valued more than it was in the past, and rather than being seen. Rather weirdly, which I don't know where this perspective came from. There used to be this idea that if you were bilingual, you somehow were unable to speak both languages, but rather you had a mix of the two, and so it was incorrect. So, for example, if you knew English and French, your English would be improper. You wouldn't be able to properly write in English or speak in English, and if you spoke French as well, it would also be improper, and you wouldn't be able to speak properly. It's so funny that you say that because, in my own personal experience, my grandfather, who was born in Quebec and came to the United States, told my father, "You know, don't speak French as much as you do English. It's going to get you confused." And the same sort of mentality was passed down, I think, across the board for French Canadians who came to the United States, and that is in large part why 
large patches of New England and the Great Lakes lost their French language. It was because of this fear of mixing the two languages and sounding wrong in both. Even in his own experience as a French-Canadian who came to the United States, he was a little bit shy to speak French in public as well because he didn't want to stand out. That's very unfortunate, but honestly, I think it comes from fear of the unknown. For the longest time, French wasn't exactly seen as um, a quality that someone should have or an ability that someone should have. It was seen as a disadvantage with, you know, English being the best language. You know, English is the number one language. Everyone's learning it. So why not all just learn the same language and we all speak the same? Whereas when you speak multiple languages, when you're a part of multiple cultures, you're also a part of the richness of the world. Because once you step outside of Canada or even the U.S., you realize that it is multicultural, it is multilingual. People in Europe often can speak up to three or more languages, and it's not uncommon. It's actually very common. So sometimes I think we're a bit stuck in the past, but we're progressing forward. It's also important to keep in mind just how much the Francophone world has changed and has always been in a process of evolution and shifting. I mean, the mark of that shifting is present in French-Canadian pronunciation. It's also present in global trends. I'd like to remind the listeners of episode four that was published in December 2019, where we had a conversation with Max Bone, who's a research fellow for the Center of African Strategic Progress in Washington, D.C., that what we've considered as a center for so many years Paris, is now being decentralized by Kinshasa as the number one world center of Francophone speakers. So, you know, hearing the statistic of 27% increase in Francophones in Alberta is important. It points to a trend that maybe in the future, Alberta and other provinces in Canada could have significant Francophone populations and significant Francophone growth. So thank you so much for that fact as well. That really changed my own perspective of what Western Francophone Canada looks like. And as we close this interview, I wonder if you could share maybe one or two things that are takeaways with the listeners today about Francophone Canada or what's most important to you as a Franco-Albertan. Uh, well, I actually have two. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the first being that if you are interested and really learning about the different Francophonies or the different Francophone identities, the best way to do so is probably to start looking at the news outlets. I don't know if you've heard of Radio Canada or Radio Canada. There is television and then, of course, radio because it's in the name. There is a different station for each Francophone community. So, for example, in Alberta, it's called Ici Alberta Radio Canada. But then in Saskatchewan, it's EC Saskatchewan, Radio Canada, the same for Manitoba, the same for Ontario, and so forth. And then by looking at those different stations, you get a really good idea of what's going on in the various communities within the provinces, what are our issues, what are we celebrating, what's important to us. So that's probably a really great way to start learning about the different ones outside of Quebec or different than Quebec. And you'll start to notice that even though we do have multiple Francophone identities in Canada, we're all still united by our love for the language and the culture. And I think that's really what should be the most important takeaway, is that despite that we are different, 
we are still united by the same love for French and all that it entails. Speaking of Radio-Canada, I'd like to remind my listeners that I will be featured in a small radio show every month on ICI Alberta starting this month in January 2020. The date I'm going to release on my social media, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore francophone. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the francophone or go on my website, thefrancophone.com. I will be posting links to my show. It will be en français, so if you'd like to practice your French, that's a great way to do it. It's going to have subjects that are very diverse, that talk about Francophone Canadian history, maybe from a different perspective than you're used to. But again, unfortunately, if you don't speak French, you will not have access to those. But once these episodes come out, I hope that I can relay at least a little bit of the information that I'll be sharing in French with Ici Alberta in English for all of you. So stay tuned for that. That's an exciting piece of news for you. And thank you once again, Rebecca, for coming onto the show today. If you're interested in Rebecca's work, you can find her article Ce qu'il faut savoir au sujet des communautés francophones du Canada online in French. But you can also find some of her other publications in English online. One that I really enjoyed reading was entitled Francophone Alberta, Deeply Engaged in the First World War. It's easy enough to Google her name. You have her name here on the podcast episode. If you just Google Rebecca Lazarenko, her articles are all over the place in French and in English, depending on which language you prefer to read in. If you're interested in following Rebecca's social media, you can find her on Twitter at Rebecca underscore L-A-Z or Z if you prefer, Rebecca underscore Laz. And as always, thanks to you listeners for continuing to support the North American Francophone Podcast. I hope that you and yours have enjoyed a pleasant start to 2020, the Roaring Twenties, and we'll be continuing with more interviews and interesting content for you in the coming weeks. Until next time, à bientôt!